Welcome to Pharmacy View podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key industry people within Australian pharmacy and associated industry. In this stream of podcast episodes, we discuss aspects of pharmacy career, resources and training, and how each area interacts with guest current role or pharmacy-related business. I'm your host, Kavita Nadan, pharmacist founder from Locomate, and my guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions for all of your shelf and digital marketing needs, part of the Arion Technologies Group. A massive hello to my amazing listeners. Um, it's been a crazy few months and I haven't actually had a chance to record a podcast for a very long time, but today I um, I am here with uh, Kevin Walker because what we're doing, we're going global. We're going to the US and Kevin Walker, PharmD, president and co-owner at RPH Ally. He's advisor at the WSU Indigenous Healers Cohort, director at ASP Washington. Uh, Kevin, you're going to have to go through all of that with me later, but there's so much more to add. So I'll pass it over to Kevin soon to finish this long list, but I want to say welcome, Kev. Welcome to our podcast. Always a pleasure to talk with you and every once in a while with Serge, but usually he tries to replace you in the room. So I'm glad that he's not here and I just get a visit with you. So that's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. I know it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's very hard to get me in the room and I only do it for very special, special people. So, you know, this is a, this is a great collaboration we're at today. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, now, as as usual, I want to, before we start, get stuck into our podcast, I'm going to ask a couple of icebreaker questions. And considering you're um, from the other, the, across the shores, I'm going to ask you a couple of Aussie slangs. And I want to know if you know what these might be. So the first one I'm going to start off with is, um, if I was to say to you, what does fair shake of the sauce bottle mean? What do you reckon that would mean? <laughs> So you're going to have to repeat that so I can hear it one more time and make a very bad guess. <laughs> okay. So if I was to say, Kevin, that's a fair shake of the sauce bottle. I, I would, I would think my very, very bad guess is a raw, raw deal. Like you, you got a raw deal or something that didn't turn out in your favor. Not a bad guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually means like, give me a break. Oh, wow. <laughs> give me a break. Pretty close, pretty close. Um, if I was to say Arvo, like let's meet in the Arvo, what would that what would that mean to you? Um, if we were going to meet in the Arvo, I would be lost and I would look it up on either asking Siri or Google to take me there. <laughs> okay, so um Arvo is slang for afternoon. Oh. It's like, you know. Afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I'll catch you in the afternoon. Instead of that, we say Arvo. Arvo. <laughs> we love shortening everything. Nice. Arvo. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this. Fair dinkum. No, not, not at all. Not, not even, not even <laughs> no? close to any word like that. Any guesses? Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. Um, my guess is that was probably a dignitary that had come to the shores of Australia a very long time ago and was a very fair individual. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I love that. Um, so fair dinkum basically means genuine, like, you know, Kev is fair dinkum. Thank you. A really good Thank guy. You. <laughs> I, I need to put that on my CV. There you go. Now you can start using all these phrases. Uh, Yes, absolutely. So fair dinkum fair guy. Dinkum. You can see the spare dinkum guy in the avo. Got it. Okay. Fair dinkum. <laughs> That's it. Perfect. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being part of this. <laughs> At least you've learned a little bit. I've imparted some knowledge That's to you perfect. today. <laughs> all right, Kev. So um, putting all those pleasantries aside, uh, tell us about yourself. I mean, the myth, the men, the, the man, the legend. What, what can we know more about Kevin Walker besides all the things you're part of? I mean, starting with your family, hobbies, anything, throw it at us. Yeah, no, we can keep all the pleasantries as much as possible, Kavi, but the uh, the man, the myth, the legend is uh, is quite the overshoot for me. I just, I try to be as much of a humble servant as I possibly can. And I think the reason why is, is because of my faith and my family. And so really looking at, at myself from a, you know, 10,000 foot view and looking down and thinking, why does he do the things he does? Or why does he think the way he thinks? A lot of it really revolves around like 
ancestral history for me. And so having my Native American background and having connections to individuals in Native American communities that have been very inspirational in the ways that they handle their business, the way that they treat their families, the way that they communicate within their communities, and the way they put their communities first um, has always been very interesting uh, to see that that has oftentimes been in very strong female leaders that I've been influenced from a very young age to now. And, you know, I I think first and foremost, it really is my grandparents. So my grandparents are the historical kind of background foundation. I do have a Native American grandparents, as you can see that picture in that top corner there, that's my grandpa riding his horse on the reservation. Uh, but my grandparents on my mom's side, uh, both my papa and grandma Cleaver, they are first generation immigrants into the United States and you know played a very large part in my rearing and so seeing what they had went through, what their families went through, um, grandma, for example, grandma was born and raised in the USSR, um, modern day Belarus. And when she was taken from Nazi forces from her family, she never saw her family again. And so she went through work camps during that time and then was taken over to the United States uh, after marrying my grandfather in Regensburg, Germany. And he was the U.S. citizen at that time fighting for the U.S. So they came over to the United States. Grandma didn't know any English whatsoever. She learned it by going to movie theaters and listening and picking up on English components here and there. And even though those terms you were teaching me in Australian, they were a little bit dif difficult for me to comprehend. For grandma, the English language was, um, she used a term for it that I won't repeat here on our, on our air, but she did not love it. And, but she still fought through that, all those struggles, worked throughout her entire life, and then gave some incredible perspective to her family because of all the struggles and difficulties she'd went through. And I think being around that at such a tender age when I was growing up and understanding that kind of struggle gave me a different perspective than maybe some other folks in my generation. And then the exact same thing can be said growing up on a cattle ranch. You know, we we were able to learn what labor and work was like at a very young age. And I think the animal husbandry components of life, of just having to take care of something and that being fully dependent on you and your sacrifices to make sure it was taken care of and living and thriving uh, or other things that really influence me in, in general. And I'm just very thankful for all the folks in my life that have done those things for me. And then obviously my faith in the Lord that he's really given me uh, perspectives about all the blessings that I have around me and so many things to be thankful for that I encounter wonderful people like Kavi to be able to teach me even more. Amazing. Um, so you're currently um, obviously got a few hats on doing little bits and pieces. How are you managing to juggle it all? Poorly. No, I, I, in all kidding, I, I think the, the difficulty of managing the juggling coffee <laughs> is really in this. It's how you start segmenting time. And so for me, uh, because some of those hats that I'm wearing are just very, you know, temporary, they need me on a PRN kind of basis, it makes it easy to fit them into the schedule. I think that the biggest hats that I wear are husband and father. And so those are the ones that I like to be able to put on as often as I can, and uh, really live in that space. But the other ones with RPH Ally, I'm very thankful that um, it's, it's a passion for me. You know, I think you and I both share that, that we just are very passionate about our profession and seeing the impacts that we can have on, on patients and patient care and, and the improvement there. And so really easy to wear that one and to interweave a lot of the other things I do. I'm mean, everything from uh, ASCP uh, components and Native American Healers cohort and working with the digital health company. All those things really weave into what I see as the future of healthcare and really connecting the dots for pharmacy. So I try to do that as much as possible. I try to allow that all of those hats that I'm wearing just to be able to sit under one kind of umbrella and then work with all of them at the same time. And so that is probably the most beneficial. It always doesn't work out that way. So that's why some time management is necessary. And that is still a wonderful work in progress, just like the man talking right now. That's amazing. I think what I'm hearing is like, you know, even though you've got different, um, like your feet in different areas, there is still this connection between them because you're still finding that passion and that um, level of excitement in each project you're doing. And that's, I guess, what intertwines everything together, um, which allows you to be able to juggle that, right? I mean, if, if there are things or projects that probably are draining you emotionally or mentally, that's probably will affect the rest of everything that you're doing and I think the 
the fact that you acknowledge that you know you're you're a husband and a father first and that will always play a role or a part in how you then manage your activities and your role because first and foremost I mean being a mum you will always put your family first um and if things get too heavy or too hard to be able to manage that's when we have to look back and go you know how is this affecting my first role and that's the first tier is being the parent being the husband or wife and I think that's a really really good perspective on that um so you know I guess you know you you've you're doing a lot of things but why did you decide to pursue pharmacy and especially go down the route of um PharmD yeah great question I think um they kind of tie into each other again. I think I just, I enjoy variety coffee. I just really love the different dynamics of being able to do different things during the day and leverage and kind of push your skill sets a little bit farther and in, in different aspects of what you could do professionally. And so I think becoming a PharmD, it was an interestingly similar kind of pathway. And so the reason I say that is initially I wanted to go into drug disease research um, the grandfather that I spoke of previously, he passed away um, of a heart attack, but before that, he had a cancer diagnosis. And then over that period of time, I really realized that everything from biology and chemistry were very interesting for me. My dad had an EMT book when I was growing up that was one of my favorites to read through, which was very nerdy as a kid, but I just loved seeing the, the treatment processes, the different kind of steps of it, learning anatomy uh, and physiology. And so it just made a lot of sense that that's where I wanted to go. And then I lived inside of that space, that laboratory space and kind of sterile environment space for about two years, year and a half, thinking that that was the way I was going to go. And after doing that, I realized I love people just way too much, Kavi. Like being around people, connecting with people is just part of my like inner fiber. Um, if you ever want someone that you will struggle to get to stop talking, that's probably me um, because I, I just enjoy it. Like I enjoy conversation. I enjoy learning about other human beings. And so seeing that the mentor that I had at that time, she did not get to conversate very often at all. She was always looking for the next grant. She's always looking for the next publication inside of that space. I realized maybe this isn't the right spot for me. So I started to explore further into the medical world and really thought I was going to be uh, you know, an MD or a DO, a physician of, of some sort. And particularly, I thought pathology would have been a really interesting space to go into to kind of once again connect those passions. And then talking to some folks, I guess, in my inner circle at the time, they said, Kevin, have you looked at the alcohol rates or the depression or the divorce rates of physicians, you know, right now? And this is, you know, early 2010s. Um, and so I hadn't, you know, I, I really hadn't, I guess it was even before 2010. Uh, so like 2008, 2007. And so because of all those things, I, I looked at them and thought, okay, that is, that is some difficulty that they're going through, even as a profession that we've seen progress even further today um, inside of the United States, and I believe internationally. But they then told me, have you looked at what pharmacists do? You know, they work a very scheduled kind of hourly basis. They make a decent living. They're able to still help people connect. And I wasn't sold, Kavi, to be honest. I really wasn't. I thought, I, I don't know much about pharmacists other than they put medications in bottles. Um, and so what I did is I went and did an internship, kind of a, a job shadow at IHS, the Indian Health Services, where I grew up here on the, on the reservation. And so doing so, I was exposed to a very, let's say, cutting edge, right? And we'll have to give credit where credit is due to a certain extent, but very progressive kind of thought processes on how pharmacists are leveraged inside of that particular system. So in the IHS system, you know, pharmacists are looked at and viewed upon as providers. And so I'm sitting there with one of my mentors and we are going through a patient's chart. We were evaluating which labs we're going to order, um, which, which other analyses we have to go through. We're taking blood draws there, um, consulting with specialists. So the kinds of things that I imagine, you know, this is just what a physician is doing overall. The pharmacist in this setting was able to blend their immense skill set and medication knowledge along with being able to directly interact with and better the patient, you know, progressing their disease states. You know, oftentimes they were really focused on certain chronic diseases, uh, but just the scope of what they were doing and the collaboration level they had with the physicians um, was, was really stellar. And then the other piece that I felt like was 
the most enjoyable is the fact that the the nursing staff, um, the providers, everybody in the entire crew just really appreciated each and every person's role in this collaborative healthcare environment. And I thought this is perfect. Like I can be on a team. I've always been a sports guy and a team sports guy. And so this fit very well with some of the things I really enjoyed about that dynamic. And so going into the world of, of pharmacy was really the next logical progression. So I applied and then I went to Washington State University to get that PharmD. How cool. And it's so funny because when I was growing up as well, we had this old medical book, which I think if we went back now, things would be so outdated because books and then generally it was written back like 20 years ago or plus. Um, but yeah, I grew up reading that. And I'm like, now that I think back, I'm like, I can't imagine my girls sitting there just reading a medical book. And I was only like eight, nine years old, but I would flip through that and just look at everything. And I mean, that must be one of the starting points to eventually become a pharmacist, I think. (laughs) Um, But you mentioned, you know, like (laughs) um, that, you know, you would obviously love people. That's one of the things that drove you to, to go out and explore other opportunities plus your love of team sports and team environment, what else do you think helps to inspire you to do what you do? Like besides, you know, helping people and being around people, what are the biggest inspirations that you found have helped you on your journey to be able to go out and and do all these roles that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, when I talk about my career path, it's it's fascinating, Kavi, some of the looks or expressions I'll get that come back to me. So I started out going and doing a geriatric residency. After the geriatric residency, I did long-term care consulting and mental health consulting inside of that. I became a way too young pharmacy director um, and then led some of their clinical program development, outpatient development, surgical kind of components and development, and tele-oncology pieces in there, and then became the director of uh, clinical development for those facilities. Then I went to a sales role for telepharmacy and pharmacogenomics, and then from there went to the digital health world. And so with that kind of progression and me not looking like I have all white hair, there are some white hairs in there. Um, it, it seems like it's not exactly a, a very transparent like next step you know, for me. But really like your question asked is like what inspired me? It was really the progression, you know, of healthcare, of just being able to see things and recognize like here are big opportunities or big gaps that are missing for a lot of my patients and a lot of my care centers that I was working with and trying to optimize what they were doing and seeing those gaps and then seeing opportunities to collaborate and be able to bring those um, solutions to play. I think that's what really inspired me to go to, into these next kind of steps in the career journey. And those included really seeing how innovation and how recognizing your grasp on technology can play a very, very large role in how well your systems are working and how well your patients are being taken care of. And so that's really what's transpired there in the career journey to be able to say, here's here are holes or here are dots that need to be connected. And I've always felt like that was something I enjoyed, you know, and found some like deep understanding and roots in of saying I can be someone that could connect some of those dots, which I think many of us are, you know, that's what we, we love to do. We need to make those kinds of connections to make it better for patients. The one thing that I've just seen is now I'm able to connect dots without just my perspective. You know, I've been able to work underneath of chief medical officers and chief nursing officers and executive teams that have had very different perspectives than me and me to be able to learn from them and the way they're valuing things and the exact same things with other companies and really trying to take my myself and put myself in their shoes to look at their perspectives on what the problems are, how they create those problems in their minds and how they solve them and the solutions they solve for, and then try to replicate that across multiple hats uh, to be able to solve those exact same problems and check off multiple boxes. And so all of those things, I think, really come down to like, why am I making career transitions? Why am I doing what I'm currently doing? It's because I think there are just enough opportunities where we don't have enough perspectives being drawn together. And I love to do that. Like I just love to bring people together to get their perspectives and hopefully bring more holistic solutions to problems. Yeah, that's amazing. I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head in the sense of the more perspective and experience you can get, you've got the ability to make decisions and to offer um, solutions that is just not from the view of one experience, right? So um, especially as we talk about, you know, getting into this digital health era, it's just 
having the ability to go out and get um, not just the not just the ability to know how to approach a digital health and technology in, in utilizing that for patient care, but then to back that up with other experiences that you've had and how to manage it all holistically, as you as you put it, because it's a pretty unknown area, right? Uh, and it's it's pretty um, scary for a lot of patients, let alone patients, but also for our profession as well. I mean, we're finding that in Australia, things are just starting to take off now and that people are not so scared when you mention all this as much. They're now a little bit more open to accepting that this is the path we're heading down. Um, But it all comes with having the knowledge that we can then impart and go, you know, it's okay, make people comfortable and uh, make them realise that, you know, it's not something to to be wary of and, and push back against, which I guess when we talk about that in terms of pharmacists being, you know, wearing those hats and getting all those experience, what have you found to be some really key skill sets that you've had to really work on or enhance to be able to then go out and deliver some of these health outcomes and and, and, and be able to progress in your career as we say yeah i mean i think that when it comes to like skill sets to really focus on and be able to enhance i i think one is delegation coffee and oftentimes we just we find it that we want to do so many things and what ends up happening is we are able to accomplish x number of things and y number of things get set on the back burner and therefore our progress is very limited and so if we aren't good at delegating if we aren't good at being able to allow ourselves to let other people with given skill sets be able to enter into the fray and very openly invite them like saying here here's an issue i have here's a blind spot that i have and here's how i i feel like you could potentially fill that gap that's the piece for me that i feel like i'm always trying to work on to allow other people to feel more invited and intertwined with what i'm trying to do and accomplish because otherwise the progress is rather limited and a lot of the people that i look up to and see that are very successful in their careers regardless if that's in healthcare or not are doing that very well you know they're finding individuals and recognizing the skill sets that they have and they're taking those individuals and implementing them into what they're trying to do so that they can skip steps you know and in general like they don't have to learn an, a given skill they don't have to take on a given development process they're able to literally skip it by ad- adding these individuals in to be able to help them make that next kind of progression in either their careers or their business or whatever it might be and so those are the things that I feel like I'm always working on there. Other pieces, Kavi, is interesting because you and I started the conversation off with it um, even before we started recording. It's monetization. I think in general, like we, we're we either trained and I'm a rural kid. And so like money was really meaningless to me. Like it really wasn't like on the top of the docket uh, in general, like you make a good living, but like the things you need are are very low on the totem pole. And so becoming a pharmacist, you and I just talked about, oftentimes we love to just give things away because we've we've determined that we already have something else paying for all of our services, which doesn't have to be our knowledge that we're giving away. And so I think monetization is the other element that I always try to, to weave into my mindset and philosophies I do it as a strategist, you know, it's easy to do it for other businesses or for other people, uh, but doing it for yourself sometimes almost feels, feels, let's say, icky, a little bit greedy, like you're looking for just how do I get more money for me without being able to just add in, I need to create value, incredible value that people want and people want to leverage. And therefore, what all I'm doing is just giving the services that I can't scale without monetization, I'm able now to scale those with monetization and then allow myself to be able to give that gift, you know, that other people want or want to see. And so those are the two for me that I think are big, delegation and monetization, and then being able to do both of those with keeping kind of people and values in mind. Yeah, 100% agree with that, <laughs> That especially with the 60-day dispensings that we've got um, is blowing up everywhere at the moment. Uh, I think it's key, and we were talking about this earlier, Kev, that, you know, having pharmacists understand the that they are health professionals. We've gone to university, we've done our degrees, we've done our training. It's something that we should value. I mean, it's not free advice, which we have come to give to our patients for a very long time and that's possibly because we just feel like 
yeah, hey, they're coming in, they haven't made an appointment, they have got something that I need to quickly fix for them so they can be on their way. But if you start to implement these services and you do it as a whole as a profession, this is where we have to unite to be able to deliver some of these things because there can't be this disconnect that's when patients start to think, what's really happening here? That pharmacy there is charging. They must be wanting money for what reason when somebody else isn't. And I think we spoke about this unity is so important, especially when big changes happen in the industry, that if you start to implement things, it has to be done together. Oh, absolutely. And that's when people realise the value of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of... Um, the challenges, I mean, we've got a few things happening, obviously, in Australia, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing in the US at the moment in pharmacy land? I mean, you, you really summed it up in a nice way, Kavi, of just that example is a nice microcosm of the larger kind of issues that we're facing. Uh, but when it comes to, to pharmacy in the United States, I, I do feel like the, the biggest issue that we may be facing as a profession is complacency. Like we we have had something for so long that has been a very well-paid profession um, that has been able to take care of our families and it's been something that has been very consistent and now seeing that we're hitting up against some issues that have happened of late and maybe recognizing some working conditions components that are are coming into play the complacency with you know all of those factors is one piece the others are kind of related to what is the future of healthcare and are we positioning ourselves well enough to be a a major part of that, not a minor role player, but a major part of that with our knowledge and our skill sets to be able to position ourselves well for this next iteration that's happening. And I feel oftentimes like we think we've got another 50 years ahead of us. That's for the next generation of pharmacists to worry about or the next two generations from now pharmacists to worry about. Uh, but you and I both know this, Kavi, that it is not. It's in the next five to 10 years inside the United States will look a lot different when it comes to how healthcare is delivered and deployed and how things are paid for. And so because those changes are coming rather rapidly now and the advancements in technology are happening at a you know, lightning level of pace, being complacent may be the worst thing that our profession could potentially do. Um, and I think the reason why it's so easy to be complacent is because we have been siloed for so long, Kavi. I mean, I know you and I have talked about the exact same thing across international borders, yeah. but when it comes to us really banding together and uniting and trying to advance things collectively. That's one difficulty. If you're only working with one pharmacist when you're changing shifts and you're working with a team of technicians or other ancillary care members, you're not necessarily talking about and coordinating some of those efforts. And so that kind of social environment that we see in other professions oftentimes uh, doesn't occur, you know, in a lot of pharmacy settings. Some pharmacy settings, hospital settings, for example, you may have yeah. several pharmacists. But once again, there's a decentralized model. So sometimes you're going to have several pharmacists, but they're spread throughout the entire hospital. So they're the one pharmacist working on a team with multiple nurses and multiple physicians or providers. And so I think that is a, a big piece of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why you and I are trying to do the things together that we're trying to do with, you know, connecting the profession and advancing it. And it's really all about avoiding that complacency and understanding yeah. that there's a real opportunity for us to, one, educate each other, and two, drop some of the walls and the facade with, you know, our side of the fence isn't being impacted by the changes in healthcare versus your side of the fence. There honestly isn't a fence. Like all, all of us need to recognize that patient care is something that all of us are in charge of, regardless of what part of the healthcare system you're in, and being able to leverage the appropriate care providers across all care aspects is going to be essential for us to advance patient care, especially when we're having the digital age come upon us that is going to change how we're interacting and the skill sets that we need to be successful inside of it. And so there is my very long-winded answer on why complacency is, is probably the most threatening of anything happening inside of healthcare, especially pharmacy. Yeah, uh, and it's so interesting that you've touched on something which, along with the 60-day dispensing right now, is happening in Australia, is this this almost um, a battle between, you know, uh, healthcare professionals, especially in in Australia with the GPs and the pharmacists. And, you know, it's, it's, it's more so probably within the governing bodies that this is occurring. But at pharmacy level, this collaboration is great within, within the GPs and um, general practitioners, we call them, and our pharmacies. But if it's 
inflated in the media, then you start to get this, it starts to create a divide, which isn't even really there. And I think when you talk about this ability to break down that fence, it's so important because there literally is no fences. There's no barriers. It's all you do and all we have been taught to is put our patient at the center of everything that Mm -hmm. we do. Right. And if that requires, you know, getting in that optometrist, that physio, calling that doctor, liaising, getting a review done, it's all in the good of for the patient. Um, and it's so fitting that you've mentioned that because I think that's something that a lot of our, you know, our industry and even other health professionals need to understand and, and, and recognize. Um, so the one thing I was going to mention there is you mentioned the healthcare providers that are kind of involved and the teams that are involved inside of there. And it's interesting to see within the U.S., you know, some of the, the major obstacles for pharmacy that we feel like we're hitting against are some very large retail players that have dictated the way that the profession is going to go, like the next steps that are being taken. You know, these these retail individuals are reacting to several kind of pressures, and I'm an incentives guy, so we have to look at what are the incentives of the players on the field, right, in general. And so some of these major retailers, they are publicly traded, you know, so there is one beholden element to their share holders to be able to increase profits. They're also highly intertwined inside of the systems, which I don't know, you know, with the Australian system, but with us, you know, the fact that we can have a pharmacy benefit manager, a pharmacy system, insurers, wholesalers all be intertwined in a very interesting matrix. It does make it difficult when that vertical integration is occurring, because now the only way for them to extract profit is to pull it from employers, decrease the amount that other outside entities are making or from patients. And so now seeing all of those pressures kind of go into play, it'll be very interesting to see how these vertically integrated systems will continue to kind of perpetuate the system as we go forward and be able to advance care. I think the conflicting pressure coming back in the other direction, if it's played correctly, is the real push for value-based care and where the pharmacy world is going to play a role in that. Because we hear about value-based care in terms of primary care physicians or general practitioners, we don't hear about value-based care pharmacy as often as I think we should, because there's a major role that can be played there. And one of the reasons I don't think that's the case, and I'll just go a little bit deeper into issues here, is I don't feel like the incident to billing and some of the current mechanisms for pharmacists to be paid for their cognitive abilities are being leveraged as much as they need to be by our pharmacy community. You know, in fact, even in the state of Washington, I remember hearing that after pharmacists were recognized as providers, not at the federal level, but at the state level, one major concern or confusion point was, why are pharmacists not sending in more bills to us? Like, we're not noticing the number of clinical, like, adjustments or clinical interventions happening from pharmacists that we anticipated after making this major shift or change. And so I think, as you mentioned previously, Kavi, with the 60-day fills and the way that we're kind of operating from a pharmacy mindset, and think about giving our services away from for free, we've literally created a retail open door, right? I mean, the way that our, our systems work and the way that yes. our stores operate look very similar to a restaurant, right? We, we have an open door policy. You can come right up to the counter and get yeah. what you need, as opposed to looking at several other systems in play, you know, mechanic shops, uh, physicians settings, airlines, all of them have a front door entry guard or a safe that says you have to stop here, you have to pay the bill here, you have to understand your services here. And now everything is appointment-based settings and lots of scheduling kind of intertwined. And so even in the way that we're set up overall, I think is another major conflict inside of the US when we're saying, okay, we're seeing a disparity between value-based care, not looking at pharmacy, pharmacy not billing for their services, and then looking at the way the pharmacy is set up in the outpatient and retail settings, not looking like something that's going to have a scheduled value-based cognitive process happen, more of a service that is all related to dispensing or product. And so those are some of the major shifts that I'm seeing happening, Yeah, uh, that we're seeing more and more professionals recognize that they've got to change the way that we look entirely and the way we think entirely so that we can fit into these new care systems. And so we can be recognized as what, you know, I was talking to a colleague just recently about some of the things that nurse practitioners did in their early kind of evolution from RNs to nurse practitioner licensure and what PAs did, you know, to motivate. So physician's assistants, these mid-level practitioners, mid-level, 
are able to find ways to be able to get into billable circumstances where they can truly use their cognitive abilities and they're totally untethered to a product. And I think for our profession, there's some very similar next steps for us to take in order to achieve that type of status. If we feel like that is the next kind of iteration of our profession and without trying to be too bold, I don't think there is any other iteration to our next steps of our profession, Kavi, but the the ability for us to use automation, for us to use technology are going to replace a lot of the human-based systems and probably better them uh, to a certain degree. So now the communications with other human beings, the interwoven skill sets of being able to match more than what ChatGPT can punch out on a given algorithm, that's where we'll be able to make our money and that's where we'll be able to stay in the profession as the true treatment experts. You've noticed I don't say medication experts. Like I think for our profession, I always try to push that. We have to be treatment yeah. experts because treatment is changing. What we think of as treatments are changing. And so we have to be akin to that and attuned to that um, to make sure that we're staying at the very top of our license and knowing a drug isn't always going to be the next best choice. What is, and do you know enough about it to be able to recommend that to your physicians and patients? I love that. That is like the ideal model. <laughs> I think this is what, correct, we have to be working towards now is changing that mind shift to changing that it's okay that as soon as a patient walks through it, you don't go and start, you know, rumbling off a myriad of options and, and solutions. It can be that all the all the automa- all the automated things that we can mm-hmm. automate, all the admin tasks should go through the automation process where possible. Pharmacists should be appointment only. Pharmacists should be um, consultants. They should be available and as a treatment expert, agreed, because you don't have to sell a product to then get, you know, reimbursed for your time. It should be, your time should be reimbursed just for going out there and speaking to your patients because that's a wealth of knowledge you are imparting. And um, it could be a 10-minute conversation. It could sometimes be a 20-minute conversation, but that's still time and it's still your knowledge. And I wholeheartedly agree. I, I agree that that is the next iteration of our profession. It has to go that way for us to stay relevant in this change that is coming upon with the automation and the digital digital age. Yeah, absolutely. So I, we've gone through so much. I haven't even got through to what I wanted to ask you about, which is RPH Ally. Can you just a quick summary. What is RPH Ally for the listeners, especially in Australia, that don't know what it is? And um, what is your vision for RPH Ally so that we're all aware of it? Yeah, I think that with RPH Ally, when when starting with Sean uh, in, gosh, about a year ago now, really the, the whole hope was seeing the next steps of the profession and being able to find the way to one, recognize that the profession inside of the United States and across, you know, internationally is going to change rather rapidly over the next five to 10 years and establishing a community, which that's what RPH Ally is. It's an alliance or a community uh, for us to be able to gather together and be able to support each other first. And so the support was really looking at the burnout rates, the suicide rates, so, so many things that were so distressing within our profession, let alone just the individuals leaving the profession in, in huge numbers to be able to go into real real estate or finance or something else because they couldn't do the pharmacy world anymore. And so to me, that was a huge loss for our patients, a huge loss because we have a ton of knowledge and skill developed in these individuals that we could deploy to be able to help and advance patient care. So supporting those individuals with putting in things like burnout channels and peer support and so many other things that are helping with women's health just to be able to give them these channels or just groups that they could connect to with experts in those given fields or subjects, and then connect with each other uh, to be able to advance the profession and the support component. The next piece that we wanted to put on board was really the education. So if we're looking at the things you and I were just talking about with an advancing career set, what are the skills you need? Like if we, if you don't know what laboratory monitoring looks like after you prescribe a medication and how you need to follow and track that, it's going to be a problem if we're going to change the way our career is working in outside the dispensing role to a more clinical mindset. And if we can't come up with a care plan or a patient-specific care plan, how do we do that? Same thing goes along with the given specialties, Kavi, that we're seeing that are you know really coming up and 
X number of things from functional medicine to geriatrics to pediatrics to pharmacogenomics and the list goes on and on and on. I think right now we have 15, 20, something like that, different channels of different specialties. So we found different thought leaders throughout the community that now they're able to teach these individuals and create kind of an environment for folks to come in and be able to start these conversations of this is what I'm doing in my area. Here's what I've done. It's worked well for me. If it comes to here's how you monetize it. Here's how you learn about it. Here's how you execute it. Any of those kind of components and pieces. And so those are the two big overarching pieces. The next one is opportunities. I think Locomate will have something to do with that, of course. But I, I do think with the opportunities piece, it's really, hey, great. You know, we've we've helped people with, with the burnout. We're able to educate them with the ways that they can utilize those skill sets or develop those skill sets to be utilized. And then the opportunities piece is really going, okay, connecting and partnering with all the individuals that are out there that are garnering employment and recognizing, hey, there's highly qualified pharmacists that now we can place into these settings without having a company umbrella over the top of us that literally any company could partner and we could be able to send them qualified pharmacists to be able to do so with all these skill sets and training. That was the whole support education opportunity. So there's there's kind of the foundational basics. And then what's the real vision like long-term it's, it's to make sure exactly what we said was true, Kavi, that I, I want pharmacy because I've seen it in rural settings. I've seen it in, in large academic settings. I've seen it in cultural and diverse settings that pharmacists play a major, a massive role. If they are leveraged and utilized to their full extent, they change patient care. I mean, I think uh, here's an example. So my wife's a wildlife biologist. She told me a story one time about there was an invasive species and this invasive species was coming in and it was eating bird eggs. And so they took another invasive species and put it in that same environment, hoping that it would eat the first invasive species. What ended up happening, Kavi, is the first invasive species and the second invasive species were sleeping at different times. And so they didn't encounter each other. And so the only thing that ended up happening is now you had two invasive species. Yeah. The story's silly, and it may be difficult to maybe tie the dots together, but follow me here. Pharmacists literally do that. We say that is a bad idea. Don't put that invasive species there because that will be harmful to the environment. It sounds goofy. It sounds simple, but it happens every single day that that happens inside of patient care. And we can be the individuals to go, no, that is, that is a terrible idea and help. Or we can be the individuals to find out the solution to be able to make that all work and connect together and work very well collaboratively. So I think that's that's the overall vision is just keeping the pharmacists not just part of the team, but leading the teams in collaboration with their general practitioners to be able to advance patient care. Because I think we we are a very unique profession that is very gifted in lots of ways. I'm very biased. Um, but I've seen it and I've appreciated kind of the recognition of all of our other allied professionals saying, I'm very thankful that we have you guys, um, to be able to help us and keep us safe and benefit our patients. I love that. I love that. I love your passion. It's just so effective and it's great. And the community that you're setting up with RPH Ally is just brilliant. I think sometimes we feel that we need to just you know, go at it alone and find things on our own. And sometimes we don't realize that we have this whole network of people that you can leverage. And that's literally what you're doing with RPH Ally on so many different fronts. But just getting people excited about pharmacy again, I think that's the biggest win here is just keeping them in the profession, realizing their potential. So good. Oh, so good. So, I mean, that's massive. RPH Ally is going so well, so much so much stuff to, to come. Do you personally have any other projects in the pipeline that you're involved in or excited about? Can you give us a sneak Yeah, peek? I think this would be the first kind of introduction. So one thing that I've noticed, Kavi, just I've went through a few conferences. You and I were just talking about my traveling schedule of late. The one thing I'm noticing is that oftentimes pharmacists as a profession don't feel like they have a voice in other settings. And so that's the one thing that going to these individual conferences has really told me, like, we need to be able to band together as human beings. And sometimes the best way to do that is through some kind of large gathering, like if that is a virtual conference or a live in-person conference. So there's a sneak peek, RPHL will be doing those soon. We've got a number of them kind of lined up and in the works. And so we're looking forward to announcing those and, and getting them running. Um, the other things like personal projects that I'm working on right now. So really, once again, I think putting my money where my mouth is, is 
I don't know if that is a saying in Australia, but in, in the U.S., we say it maybe too often. And then we put our foot in our mouth. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do. But putting your money where your mouth is is really all about if I'm going to put in my time and investment into doing something in the digital health space, I want to make sure that I am leveraging the world of pharmacy as much as I possibly can. So literally, the, the digital health company that I'm working with now, one thing is I want to relate to pharmacists instead of just being, hey, he's a... He's a president of a community or an alliance, whatever the case is, but he doesn't know what it's like to be a boots on the ground pharmacist, you know, as he's doing it. It was important to me to make sure my boots were still firmly on the ground. And so other people could understand, yes, he's still doing what we're doing. He's still trying to push the profession and also be able to really push it in a, in a different way. So in digital health, if we were trying to develop things and we we're not thinking pharmacy first, that's the guy I want to be. So that's what I'm trying to do inside of my company right now is say, Here's the opportunities yeah. inside of digital health, inside of artificial intelligence and machine learning to leverage a very unique and specialized profession in pharmacy. And this is how we incorporate them with current models of payment, models of you know verification and validation, models of uh, recommendations. And so when we're bringing those individuals in, when I'm trying to work inside of this, like that's why I'm so passionate about this company I'm working with now is because I really feel like they have an incredible grasp and maybe I'm just biasing them as much as I possibly can, which I definitely am on why pharmacy is so integral to the entire process <laughs> of saying you can't do it without pharmacy, right? Yeah. You don't, we don't have to be there every step of the way. There are other healthcare professionals that can take other steps, but when we need to have the oversight and clear picture to be able to get those next steps going on, we need to make sure we bring it back to our treatment experts and make sure they're leading the, the charge on what we're going to do with the next steps of patient care. Brilliant. How exciting. You'll have to keep us updated on all oh, this. Oh, def definitely will, for sure. Now, as we're coming to the end, oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll have to do another podcast when there's other new exciting stuff coming out. Um, so as we come to the end of our podcast, I just want to ask you a, a, a couple of questions about, you know, more self-care based because it is a very, very busy busy time in your life, in everyone's life. And I love to ask, you know, founders and owners what they do to practice some of this self-care. So a couple of things I wanted to ask you about is, and you can just be just a one word or one sentence answer. So what helps you to stay focused? I think the thing that helps me to stay focused the most, Kavi, is getting away. So if I'm if I'm able to get away from my desk and go and do something that's unrelated yep. to work, I can come back and be more focused. So literally, I'm looking out at a little forest in front of me. And so taking that walk during the day, when I don't take that walk during the day, I am less focused on the tasks ahead and the bullet list that I'm trying to take care of. Yep. And then the other piece I'd say is setting realistic expectations for the day. Sometimes you can go and you can have a bullet list of 100 things and you'll get none of them done. Yep. Uh, but just having, by the end of the day, I want these one or two things accomplished. And if I get those things done, wonderful. Those two things of getting away so I can step away from my desk and come back and refocus myself and setting realistic expectations. I think those are the ones that have been the most helpful. Perfect. That's great. I will note those down because I do the opposite. <laughs> so I better get onto that. Um, how about, <laughs> how about igniting passion? Yeah, I, I think igniting passion for me is getting together with other human beings, Kavi, like me getting together with you, you know, just talking about our profession with other like-minded yeah. individuals. The team that I have is absolutely incredible. You know, getting together with them in person was a huge blessing, but their hair is on fire about their given specialty. You know, if you talk to them about what they're trying to do for the profession of pharmacy and leading these specific um, specializations, they're stoked. And so I, I get the exact same energy from them and we can feed off of each other and be able to build that for kind of next steps and realistic next steps of how do we actually, how do we actualize it? You know, how do we make it real? Um, and so that's where I really yeah. feel like the passion can come from. And the other pieces I think for me are totally related to my family. You know, once again, like if I'm trying to look back on my career and see what did I accomplish or what do I want my boys to think that dad did, you know, during the years that he was working, I want to be able to leave something back that showed that I cared about people and that what I did was all about trying to benefit patients and human beings. And so if 
if I can do that and keep that passion kind of flowing and growing, um, then I'm doing something I hope my boys can look back on. And even if they don't have any idea what this pharmacy world is all about, they can at least say that dad, dad did something to try to help other people. Yeah. Oh, how nice. And okay. Last but not least, um, how do you connect with yourself? Connecting with myself is uh, kind of that answer to the first question of getting away, like stepping stepping away. And um, sometimes yeah. when walking through the woods, like the best things that I can do is is pray. Like when, when I get a pray and when I get a conversation with God going and really mm-hmm. being able to understand, you know, what are my focuses? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? All of those pieces, I think, are really essential for me personally, just that not the quiet time of just silence in the room, but the quiet time in here um, when I'm able to let everything else kind of flow away and just kind of center myself and focus on just my spiritual relationship and my faith. Uh, that is a way that I'm able to really take care of myself and, and recenter in order to kind of build things up. Because sometimes, coffee, like you know, things don't always go the way you want them to. You know, they're not as fast or they're not progressing always in the way you want them. Sometimes relationships don't go the way you thought, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, inside of business and inside of healthcare. But if you can go back and be able to recenter yourself with a really true spiritual dive and be able to kind of declutter all the noise, uh, it's, it's so alleviating for your soul. And I think then it allows you to do things more freely. Absolutely. And I'm all for walks. I think walks are so important. I always say to Serge, I'm going out, headphones in, and I'll just go. And it's just amazing how refreshed you feel (laughs) after a walk. It's the best thing I think that anyone can do for themselves is just to go for that walk just by yourself, like just your time. Um, So important. Sunshine is medicine for sure, Kavi. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. It actually is. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for your time today, Kev. It was just, I think we've gone through a roller coaster of things that we've discussed. It's gone everywhere and anywhere, but it's been so much fun and so exciting and loved hearing about, you know, your background of your family. I think that was really, really exciting and to know how, and it, it, it shapes us, right? Our, our ancestors shape who we eventually become. And I think having that story in our minds and and, and knowing about it, it just helps to then allow you to be able to understand what you want to do with your life as well. So it was very, very interesting to get to know the back backstory and just generally what you're doing in the space is just so exciting. So we will have to keep in touch and uh, get more updates of you down the track we, you know we definitely will and we'll try to kick Serge out of some of our meetings sometimes so that you and i can visit every once in a while but Serge does say you're a very highly compensated employee so i'm sure that's the reason why <laughs> but i loved being on the show kavi absolutely really enjoy you as a human being and uh, thank you so much for all the things you're trying to do for the world of pharmacy and uh, for patient care in general i think it's just it's wonderful to have connections internationally that we can really connect on a much deeper level together and and try to do as much as we can to help each other and support absolutely united together amen thanks for joining us today on the pharmacy view podcast and don't forget to like share and leave us a comment if you found this episode of value or have feedback podcast episodes are promoted through social media linkedin youtube and major podcast mediums and each episode can be found on the pharmacy view webpage with links to the guest contact and business details If you're a pharmacist or industry support supplier and would like to join us on an episode, send us a message through LinkedIn or complete the inquiry form on the Pharmacy View webpage. I'm your host, Kavita Nadan, pharmacist founder from Locomate, and thanks again for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast.